Hey, Curiosos. Are you going to be in Baltimore on March 7th? I will. So will I. That's awesome. We are hosting a vaudeville-style variety show, mm. our very first live event. Where? Yellow Sign Theater, right on Charles Street, historic Charles Street. Mm-hmm. And we are going to have some of the best talents from around the state. We're going to have titillizing burlesque, mm. sensational sideshow, and majestic musical comedy. So, Joe, tell me about some of them performers. We've got Valerie Vox, one of the members of Black Tassel Boulesque. We've got Hot and Bothered with Oliver Hot and Stanley Bothered. That neo-vaudevillian duo who dresses well and plays music even weller. There's Shaggy Wilcox. Shaggy is performing his very, very first sideshow performance. We also have Addie Poseri and Horatio Dark. They are a burlesque duo that explores the macabre side of life and death. And you know what else? Not only that, but you got us. Chris is going to be performing some of the sideshow stuff. And Joe is going to be performing his, my talking stuff. his awesome face. Yeah, it is pretty awesome. It is. It is it, pretty you pretty are handsome. I am handsome. Yeah. All right, guys. So that's March 7th, the Yellow Sign Theater in Baltimore, Maryland, 2014. Don't miss it. In the circus, there are all kinds of acts. But in the sideshow specifically, there are only three. The working act, which is the human blockhead, the sword swallower, the fire eater. Guys that really work hard for their living. You have... The maid freaks, the tattooed people. Then you have the born freaks. The born freaks are people who are not born like you or I or most of society. They're people who who look strange, different. And these people are truly sideshow royalty. But there is one king above them all, Johnny Eck, the king of the freaks. I'm Christopher Scarborough. And I'm Joe Taylor. And welcome to the Curioso Podcast. We really have to make it to um, Greenmont Cemetery at some point. So not only does it have the body of John Wilkes Booth, Mm -hmm. it has the the creator of the Ouija board with his Ouija board shaped... (laughs) <laughs> headstone. headstone. Yeah. But it also has... I wonder if you can actually use that. I don't know. We can... <laughs> you have to... Take the little thing and... What is that called? Does it have a name? I don't remember. The little... Yeah, the little dial or whatever it's Yeah, called. yeah. I don't know. It probably has some weird name. But I want to go up to the headstone and like put and it on actually there and use ask it. a question. <laughs> but it also has Johnny X... Um, his his gravestone there as well. Yeah. So it has three extremely cool, and I think I've actually been there. I'm fairly sure that I've run through there drunk in the middle of the night. Oh before. yeah, we, we all have. I, no, I mean yeah. I really think that I have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I'm saying we all have. You know. But uh, yeah, absolutely. We we definitely have to take a, a trip there at some point. So that's who we're talking about today. John Eckert Jr. or Johnny Eck. 
So he's, he's actually uh, one half of a duo. Um, <laughs> 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 Wouldn't he be like a, a quarter? No. Maybe a third. Well, he'd that, be a third. I guess he would be, he a, would be thir- a third. Yeah, a third of a duo. Yeah, yeah. yeah because his, his brother, mm-hmm. Robert Eckert, right. was born completely normal. Normal. Completely yeah. healthy, completely normal, with uh, no... Uh, well, he had his legs. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and and uh, Johnny was born with sacral agenesis syndrome? Say that again and try to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Sacral agenesis syndrome. Okay. I, I wasn't really sure exactly how to say it, so I was leaving that up to you. Yeah. Unless it's sacral agenesis syndrome. <laughs> we are the absolute worst people to try to get any kind of... <laughs> but it looks like sacral agenesis syndrome. Yeah, basically, uh, for, from what I understand, sacral agenesis has uh, it, it, it has to it messes up your spine correct right, right. so basically Johnny Eck was born without no legs <laughs> so Johnny frequently dressed very well yeah, uh, yeah. A, a lot of the time he would frequently wear tuxedos when he was performing and things like that mm-hmm. uh, so to give you a visual about on a tuxedo you know you have your your bow tie right. and your jacket and and your lapel, yeah. And then eventually, uh, you know, you go down to the buttons and then you have the cummerbund. Right. About where the cummerbund starts mm-hmm. is where Johnny X stopped. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you, if you, you know, reach under your ribs. Yeah. That's pretty much where he ended. Yeah. He, yeah. he had nothing else below that. No. No. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. That was nothing. it. Yeah. So, but um, there's, there he has such a an amazing uh, story uh, for his life. So besides being king of the freaks and being a a lifelong uh, circus sideshow performer, here's just a few things that he he did and accomplished in his life. And then we'll, we'll talk about all these things. He was an actor in several movies. He was an artist, screen painter, did lots of sketches and paintings. He's a photographer, a magician, and an illusionist. Uh, he owned a penny arcade. He ran and designed a Punch and Judy show, mm-hmm. a little wooden dolls he would paint and actually, you know, performed in in that show as well. A puppet show. A puppet show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was a race car driver. Yeah, that's so awesome. <laughs> uh, he was a train car conduct- conductor. Mm-hmm. He had this little tiny miniature train. Awesome. He was an animal trainer, an acrobat, a juggler. That, that, that blows my brain, like, right out the side of my head. I also, a juggler. I also saw a video where he was doing, um, he was doing some weight training. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I yeah. have a, a video that I was looking at, uh, oh, you know, on the internets where, yeah, he was doing all this weight training stuff. I just, I'm like, <laughs> right. I'm like, Johnny Heck is doing weight. Like, I'm just, I was just, I was, I, know. I don't, yeah. I, yeah my, I'm, I don't know how he does that stuff, but it's amazing. And the best thing of all, him and his brother were also conductors for a local Baltimore orchestra. Mm-hmm. In his spare time, he would be, he was a conductor. So this guy, he was all around, like the, the quintessential Renaissance man. Absolutely. He did everything. Pop. He did more things without a couple of legs 
than we do in an entire lifetime. You know, he, he traveled all over the world and did more stuff than the average person. And he was only half a person. Yeah. You know, literally, like body-wise. Not, I mean, he was a whole person, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> missing some bits. Well, so basically when he was born uh, on August 27th, 1911, uh, him and his brother Robert were mm-hmm. both born on the same day, and uh, when he popped out, um, one of the uh, the midwives that were there uh, described Johnny as though he had been snapped off at the waist. Yeah, and uh, she was quoted as saying, "Oh my lord, he's a broken doll." <laughs> That's that is not a Baltimore accent. Oh, I, I that is not a Baltimore accent, <laughs> yeah. buddy. Hey, Lord, he's a broken doll. <laughs> is that better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, when everything happened, you know, and he was born, they were, you know, astonished that he was actually alive. He was actually only two pounds when he was born. Eight inches. Yeah. Eight inches long. Well, he only grew to eventually be 18 inches tall. That's uh, 10 inches. That's a... Yeah, he did grow quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. For, the, for the half of him that was, that was there. Right. Uh, but it's like he, he lived such a full life mm-hmm. to only be a half person. It, yeah. It, it's just... It's that's pretty... astounding to me. Like, I know. That, that, is, that is truly amazing. Uh, and, and we're doing this... Uh, here, here's why we're doing this episode. Uh, is that our local art college... Maryland Institute College of Art. Micah. Um, they're actually running an art gallery dedicated to Johnny Eck. To his life and to all of his, his works of art mm-hmm. that we're going to get into eventually uh, and talk about. But yeah, they're, they're, they have, we just went there this past weekend mm-hmm. and we saw all, all of the art that he's, that he's done. Not all of it, but we've seen some of the art that he's done, some of his trunks of magic props. Yeah. Some of his his uh, his his you know different dolls and puppets that he that he took care of to, when he did you know all these different puppet shows and uh, some of the it, gloves that he would wear because mm-hmm. he had to walk on his hands and yeah. wore these gloves so they wouldn't get all torn up yeah clothes pretty much anything they could find or that was donated to Ripley's or for this gallery at Mica they had on display for people to, to check out and to, to read about. Mm-hmm. And he was also, he was, he was an avid writer. Yeah. Like from yeah. what I was reading, they were saying that, so, someone was saying that he, like anything, he kept all the carbon copies of his, <laughs> of his, anything that he signed, mm-hmm. kept all the carbon copies. He wrote people constantly, would write them all kinds of, you know, just holiday greeting cards, was, was like some of his favorite things. You know, but he would he would pe- write people all the time, and he would also wrote, he had a diary that he wrote in every every day. <clears throat> so he was a, he was an avid writer as yeah. well. You know, yeah. not not just everything else <laughs> we yeah. mentioned, but on top of that, yeah, he he wrote prolifically. So it was in about um, 1923 when he was about 11 years old. Um, uh, Johnny and his brother. Uh, Robert Eckert and Johnny Eckert attended um, a performance of stage magic uh, at their local church by John McAslin. Mm-hmm. He was uh, an amateur magician, and uh, when he asked for volunteers, 
the uh, 12-year-old Johnny Eck bounded up onto the stage. And at that <laughs> point, he, he had still was using Eckert. Right, right. So he bounded up onto the stage, uh, you know, to, to become, you know, so he could be his, his assistant. Yeah, of you course. Because, yeah. you know, they're just, oh, well, let me get a kid up here 12, to help me out. Yeah, you know? I mean, exactly. kids, kids love that stuff. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> so after the uh, performance, he talked to the kid and he actually... He wanted to become the kid's manager and bring him out on the road to become a a, a sideshow performer. Yeah. So uh, you know he talked to his parents and mm-hmm. um, they uh, they said okay, but Robert has to come along. His his twin brother. And right. if you really if you look at him in the face, they are twin brothers. Oh yeah, very. Yeah. They they look very similar. It's just you know Johnny only. Just the bottom part. Yeah, the bottom yeah. part. <laughs> so, well, I mean, Johnny was actually his parents. They weren't sure what his future would be. Yeah, and they pretty much had him slated to be going into the the ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, he yeah. was going to go and serve the church. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why they frequented that church because yeah, it was something for the kids to do. But the parents were kind of worried about his, you know, the rest of his life and his situation. Well, Johnny also was a, a very godly man throughout his whole oh, yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was all, uh, even when they when later on when we talk about his paintings, a mm-hmm. lot of his paintings and works of art were specifically uh, uh, re- religious in in context. Right. So, but there was this whole thing where he he worked with this uh, McAslin, you know, this McAslin guy as his manager, and um, he. He signed a one-year contract, mm-hmm. okay? And as the story goes, uh, McAslin eventually added a zero to the end of that, making it a 10-year contract. After that he, the parents signed the contract. After the parents signed right. the contract. He knew he had a, a gold mine there oh, with, yeah. with, with Johnny, you yeah. know? And if he has to bring up his brother along, then, you know, by all means, so let's do it. it. Yeah. So even though McAslin had added the zero to the end of the contract, it really didn't take long. It only took him about a year to get out from underneath of his thumb. So in 1924, he was still only about 12 years old. Him and his brother signed up with a carny named Captain John Sheasley, and they started a singolo, which if you don't know what a singolo is, it's a single sideshow act that would travel around with a carnival or, you know, a circus right. and would perform outside. So as opposed to a 10-in-1, which would have 10 different acts under one tent. Mm-hmm. So you go and you pay to see one act. Right. So if you've ever been to a fair and you've seen Come See the Giant Rat or the Tiniest <laughs> Pony in the World or anything right, like that, right. that's a singolo. It's yeah. just a one-off, one mm-hmm. you know, one-off. Yeah. In the comic book world, we would call that a one-shot. <laughs> right. So... We like I'm in the comic book world. <laughs> but, when you're in the store, yes, you yeah, are in the comic book world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but it, his performance included all kinds of stuff: sleight of hand, acrobatic feats, and of course, his famous one-armed handstand. Yeah, where he he would put his one hand down, his other hand into the air, and mm-hmm. he it, it's basically. Have you ever seen Joe when um, you get somebody who's like got a really strong upper body strength, mm-hmm. and they wrap their arm around the pole? Mm-hmm. And then wrap their other arm, and they pull themselves up so they're totally uh, parallel to yeah. the pole. Yeah, that's kind of what it looks yeah, like. I've been except trying to for, do that for years. Yeah, <laughs> but that, that's kind of what it looks like. But right. you know, of course, he stops at the waist, yeah, so he's, he's got you know, a lot less weight to pull up. Yeah, to pull up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but he, you know, he performed a lot in you know his tuxedo jacket, like we said, perched yeah. on top of like a tasseled stool. 
Mm-hmm. And you will see those pictures a lot. He performed with Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, and, and uh, eventually he would uh, perform with Robert Ripley. Yeah. Okay. So as he's performing with, was it Ringling? Mm-hmm. Sometime between 1924 and 1931 is when he was really performing with with Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, right, and and a few, I mean, a few other, oh yeah, yeah, circuses uh, and sideshows he traveled with. Yeah, I mean, because he didn't, he learned his lesson, didn't design long contracts. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, sometime, you know, in early 30s, they were in Canada doing an exposition. Yeah, it was uh, the 1931 Canadian Exposition. Right. It was in the summer of 1931. So that's when he got approached by one of the uh, MGM studio talent scouts. Mm-hmm. They were they were filming a movie or you know in talks about filming a movie about basically sideshow freaks. Yeah. Side you know and this is this is back when uh being PC there, there wasn't such a thing. You know, this was it was all about shock value. It, even though Todd Browning had a, a really good story you know, it was very heartfelt, very, you know, very human story about these sideshow performers. Part of the gimmick was people didn't see that stuff on the regular, especially yeah. on screen. So it was a it was a shock movie. Yeah, you I mean, you really if you got to see sideshow freaks, mm. you got to see them maybe once a year when they came to your town. Right, right. So if they came to your town. Yeah, exactly. So and and you didn't you didn't get to see that that often. So yeah. basically for them to went, go and tour this movie, everyone got to see them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So 1932 is when Freaks actually was released. Yeah, and uh, this was uh, Todd Browning immediately after he made Dracula. Yeah. This was his next movie. Yeah. So I don't know, I mean, going from Dracula to to Sideshow... I personally wouldn't consider it horror, mm-hmm. you know, or, or a thriller. Oh, but it was a horror movie. Freaks and, is a horror movie. That's the idea. Yeah, and back then it was. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why it was banned for so long. Plus, you know, when the 60s and 70s rolled around, when stuff like that became PC, you know, and people were worried about everybody's feelings and this and that, it pretty much got pulled from shelves. Yeah. When I first heard well, about it, 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 it started getting a more popularity during the '60s, right? And then eventually, during like the '70s, you you had this whole backlash uh-huh. where people were saying, "Well, these are people with disabilities. They and they you're can't taking advantage of them." Or, exactly. Yeah. When most of the time they were making more money than oh, anyone. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the 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 people who were with the disabilities who didn't consider themselves disabilities because they were making money from it mm-hmm. were the people who were the the now having problems yeah because of it yeah you know they were actually making money hand over fist yeah but it became very underground very it, it was a it's a hard film to find on mm-hmm. shelves anywhere yeah for a long time and i remember being i think it was 14 or 15 and i had went to a little mom and pop movie shop. You know, this is when they still existed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw... Mine was called Pick Your Flicks. Was that what it was? Yeah, I just <laughs> wanted to point that out, yeah. And, and I saw the, um, the cover. And, yeah, it's an old black and white, you know. Uh, but I remember reading somewhere, I think it was probably Fangoria or something, mm-hmm. one of the horror magazines I used to read when I was a kid. 
that it was one of the most shocking films ever created. So, of course, you know, I had to pick it up. And I watched it, uh, you know, 14, 15 years old. And, uh, you know, being kind of desensitized by most of the blood, guts, and gore that I was used to, it wasn't very shocking. It was more, it was more of a, you know, a, a human piece. It was, it was about these people who were just living their lives and everybody thought they were, they were weird looking, you know? Yeah. But I guess it, it, it's also a time, a period piece, because putting yourself in that situation now, so what? You know, the, the normal people with, mm-hmm. you know, disabilities and they're still making it work for themselves. Back then, it's a bit of a different situation. You know, mm-hmm. the mindset back then was a lot different than it is today yeah. when it comes to disabilities and things. Uh, plus, if you, if you listen back to our very first episode, mm-hmm. we also, we talked about uh, Johnny Eck in that episode a little bit, mm-hmm. but we, we kind of gave him a short overview because we were also talking about all kinds of other people. Right. And Sideshow in general. Sideshow in general. And w- we, we talked about some of the other freaks, which eventually we might do a full episode about some of them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, the, you know, the thing is, is that some of these people had, you know, diminished mental capacity and yep. some of them didn't. And Johnny Eck definitely did not. No, he was a really so smart he, dude. Yeah. He wasn't like Schlitzy the Pinhead who was just sort of a happy-go-lucky, you know, you know, someone who didn't really have a mental capacity. You know, Johnny Eck totally did and was very smart and, in fact, quite handsome. Yeah. You know, he just didn't have no legs. <laughs> he just didn't have no legs. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so after, after Freaks, uh, he still had some, some acting cred. Yeah, he was in a, a actually mostly most of the other movies that he was in, he was in Tarzan movies. Yeah. So there's three yeah. three Tarzan movies that he was in with a, a some guy who used to be like a, a, a Olympic Olympic swimming champion mm-hmm. or something who who actually played Tarzan. That's what yeah, most yeah. Of them were. Yeah. So he was in Tarzan the Ape Man in 1932, Tarzan Escapes in 1936 <laughs> and Tarzan's Secret Treasure. Tarzan's Secret Treasure. Isn't that what I said? Tarzan's Secret Treasure? No, you said Tarzan's Secret Treasure. Oh, Tarzan's Secret Treasure. Yes. Yes means it's his. He must be keeping it in that (laughs) loincloth. It's all tucked up in there. (laughs) (laughs) But um, a lot of what he played in in most of those movies was uh, a special effect where he would... And I, I have a picture of this on our show notes, so you, you'll be able to see it. He he played like the Goonie Bird. That's what it's called, yeah. Yeah, which so basically he wore this, uh, you know, crazy suit where he looked like a turkey that was, you know, crawling around on its wings. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's Hollywood. What are you going to do? <laughs> In the 30s. Yeah. What are you going to do? And you're getting paid. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... You know, I've I've seen reality show stars do way worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in 1937, he was about 25 years old. Uh, uh, Johnny and, and Robert were recruited by an illusionist and hypnotist, uh, Raj Raboid, uh, for his Miracles of 1937 show. Uh, when he produced and did this show, and we, we talked about this during our very mm-hmm. first episode, but this is just one of my favorite, absolute favorite stories. So you had uh, you had Robert Eckert, 
who, which was his brother, his fully functioning, his, his brother, mm-hmm. uh, would uh, basically, you know, start uh, heckling, uh, you know, the, the, the um, magician, right. you know, because he's about to saw, you know, somebody in half. So he starts heckling him and he says, come on up, I'll saw you in half. So he comes up and, uh, and then, you know, he, he, you know, he sets it all up and everything and he saws Robert in half. But Robert, you know, has absolutely disappeared at this point and has been through the trap door and has been replaced by uh, Johnny and a dwarf mm-hmm. who was wearing a pair of pants, you know, holding the pants up with like a pair of sticks. Yeah. So yeah. then when he saws him in half, the pants get up and run away. Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if, if you're a long time listener, I'm sorry you have to sit through this again. Yeah. But it's so funny. The pants go and run away. Uh, and we saw pictures of this when we went to the, the Micah Museum. Yeah. It's so great. The pants run away, and Johnny gets up on his hands and starts running after his pants and say, get back here, legs, get back here. I mean, you would have people fainting in the audience. Yeah, and he know? would sometimes run out in the audience yeah. after the pants. <laughs> <laughs> like up and down the aisles. It's just, and, and they actually only did this for one year. He didn't go back and do it in 38 because they had so many people that complained and fainted. Mm-hmm. It was literally so much of a shock yeah. that some people couldn't handle it. They, they only did it for one year. Yeah, and Johnny said that most of the men were were more frightened than the women. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and nobody could move because most of the men were trying to get to the exits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> so the illusion would end with, uh, with, you know, the magician plucking him up off the ground, sitting him on top of his legs, mm-hmm. and twirling him off the stage only to, be, to, to walk out uh, his brother Robert, and then start <laughs> loudly threatening to sue the theater <laughs> and uh, and and the and the magician, right, Mr. Yeah. Raboid. Yeah, so so good, so good. So in 1938, okay, so this is he uh, Johnny did this stunt in 1938 where he called papers and all this other stuff, and uh, I, I, here's what I I didn't understand he he was supposed to climb the Washington Monument, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't understand if this originally, when I was reading it at first, uh-huh. I'm like, he's going to climb, I kept on thinking he's going to climb the outside of the Washington <laughs> oh, Monument. Yeah, right. No, no, like on his hands. <laughs> right. But no, he was actually climbing the steps of the Washington Monument. Oh, uh, okay, Okay. Gotcha, yeah. So, which I believe in 1938 at that point, they didn't have an elevator no. in it. No. It was only steps. So to go up, you had to go on your steps. To go on, well, if you have no legs, you have to go up on your hands. And that's mm-hmm. what he did. He climbed it on his hands. But he didn't have, it's not like he could have climbed it on his feet and walked up. <laughs> right. So, the, you know, they had they, they, they had this big, you know, media event where they had people come out and, and, and take pictures of him, you know, uh, outside of the Washington Monument where they're all, all the photographers are laying in the grass trying to get good shots of Johnny pointing at the monument. Right, you know? right. So it, it's just, and it's just a good it, like stunt, you know. 600 some plus steps? I, I don't even, I'm not even sure. It's, it's, yeah, it is ridiculously high. Yeah, it, I, it's a know, lot of steps to yeah. walk up. Yeah, and we'll probably have to bleep this, but I always like to call the Washington Monument America's big <laughs> Besides Florida. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's America's wang. So Johnny was into all things mechanical, and one of his favorite things was race cars, automobiles, man. He mm-hmm. loved them. 
But uh, so he worked on them. He he did a lot of mechanic work. But he actually had his own specialized race car just for him. And if you if you take a look at some of the pictures that I have up on a few of the websites on the show notes, you'll see he calls it the Johnny Eck Special, mm-hmm. and he has painted right on the side of it. Yeah, looks like a go kart. Yeah, it looks like a little a little go kart, and he had all of the foot controls mm-hmm. changed. He himself changed them to hand controls. Wow. And one of the coolest parts about it is he actually had it uh, he had it tagged and turned street legal. Oh, nice. Yeah, and uh, there's a, a, a motor vehicle operations license on one of the websites that I found for <laughs> the a actual mini- miniature automobile operated manually wow. uh, vehicle so that he could drive it around. And if you also take a look on his race car, the number on the back of it, mm-hmm. the number 13. Oh. Yeah, wow. just, just thought I would mention that. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, man, and he he actually drove it all around the East Coast and especially around Baltimore uh, where he just drove it on the streets like it was his normal vehicle, you yeah, know, up yeah. and down the streets. But he also raced it a lot up and down, you know, uh, you know around the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So now I actually tried to see if I could find any, like, specific racing records or anything that he might have been involved with or any races that he won. Right. I could not find anywhere any records of that. Well, it was probably more just exhibition, sort of fun stuff, you know, yeah. probably with, you know, either younger people or for, you know, some, you know, uh, society thing or a cure cancer for kids thing. You know, you know like yeah, some like, sort of yeah. like event. Charity events and for, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, but so I couldn't actually find any specific races that he was in or who he raced against or in mm-hmm. what heat or what anything like that. <laughs> right. But um so you know that was that was kind of a little bit of a letdown. I'd like to know a little bit about that. But um but yeah, yeah. I mean that this car is really pretty cool looking. Yeah. Yeah, if you yeah, get a it's, chance it's to take it's really neat. It's like a like a funny car. You ever seen those? Mm-hmm. With the weird thing on the roof? Yeah. But they're shaped kind of like just like this car. Mm-hmm. You know, so just make it smaller. And give it, you know, hand controls rather than foot pedals, and boom, you got Johnny's car. Mm-hmm. A little bit later on in life, he always wanted to be a train conductor, okay? Ooh, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he never got the chance. So what he did was he bought a, a, a basically like a toy train. Now, he actually had a toy train that he had in his house, and he would let the neighborhood, uh, neighborhood kids come in and play with it. Like a tabletop. It. Yeah, a little yeah, tabletop yeah, yeah, yeah. train, you know, like a, t- what are they, Tyco or whatever mm-hmm. they are? Yeah. He would, he would, he would play with those, mm-hmm. um, but he never actually got to be a, like a big train conductor. Well, he never got to be a big train conductor, but <laughs> he did buy a, you know, basically like a huge toy train set yeah. that, that children could ride in mm-hmm. that he had at one of the local parks. And and drove around yeah. and yeah they we actually got to see this at the at, at in Micah uh-huh. at the museum they had this train uh, it looks like they kind of painted it orange or something yeah yeah the, it used to be like a different color yeah and they had a video running at at Micah of I guess when they acquired it yeah for you know for this exhibit or maybe it was donated I'm not sure how they acquired the train mm-hmm. probably through the family but apparently trying to get this thing to work was pretty tough to do and there's this there's a little clip that they're playing in the uh the exhibit where the train actually catches fire <laughs> i must have missed that <laughs> yeah part. you did so the engine catches fire and they're all freaking out jumping out of the train while it's moving trying to put the fire out 
And this is, this is I think, right on the cusp of, like, uh, it was still a combustion engine. Yeah. You could get these prior that were steam engines mm-hmm. as, as the smaller ones, you know, the smaller steam-driven engines for these kids' uh, train sets. But, yeah, this one, it looked like, like a, you know, looked like a pain in the butt to, to keep running. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he had, uh, you know, kids would come by, and I don't even think he charged them. It was just certain days he would run the train and go around the park. So one of my favorite things that we saw was the, uh, the puppets for the Punch and Judy show. Yes, a Punch and Judy show. It's Punch it's- and Judy. If you yeah. guys are getting this, uh, I when I first heard, I was like, "Punching Judy," like that just seems wrong. No, that kind of happens sometimes. <laughs> mo- yeah, <laughs> well, no, happens. yeah. It's 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 um, I believe it goes back all the way to like like Renaissance England. Yeah, it does. Is where the Punch and Judy shows go back yeah. to. But yeah, it's basically well, like have, a have theater like puppet show, right? Theater puppets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this the- sounds refined. Them theater puppets. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they were like almost like marionettes. These puppets would have very basic, uh, you know, facial movement, if any. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it was just the heads would turn, and you'd have one stick with you know the arm or something. So it's like a dumbed down version of the Muppets. Mm-hmm. And most of them were made with wood. Yeah. You know? So they were very marionette like, and then you'd have a little stage set up. And I, I did this when I was a kid. Like when I was little, I would take my boglins and like other little things and I would make puppets and I would do puppet shows and just, cause that's what I wanted to do when I grew up, you know, yeah. being a Jim Henson fan and, and you know, Mel Blanc and cartoon, I wanted to do voices and, and do, you know, animation or puppeteer work. So seeing these handcrafted little marionette puppets for this, this Punch and Judy show, it, they were awesome. Like, they put so much time and effort into these shows. And some of the shows apparently could get a little blue. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it, it, the whole idea of them was to kind of go over the kids' heads. Exactly. Just just yeah. like just, just like enough. cartoons today. Yeah. You know? Just they, enough. They do the same thing. Yeah. You know? If you have to sit there for, for an hour and a half and watch, <laughs> you know, a, a, a kid's, you know, animated movie, there's going to be a few that fly over their head and you're going to yeah. catch. Yeah. Just specifically for you. And Punch, the Punch and Judy shows were the same way. Yeah. And they, they looked like so much fun. And, and just creating the, the puppets looks like, you know, a lot of fun. You could see uh, they also had, like, some of his woodworking yeah. tools and stuff like that. So, he yeah, he created all of those puppets himself. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't just a, a puppeteer. He also, we, we talked about him being a painter. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that he did, he was very prolific at, was screen painting. Okay, this isn't, like... Screen printing. Not screen printing. I've done that. Yeah, no. Screen painting. It is a, a type of Baltimore folk art. It's specifically for Baltimore. I mean... Is it, it, is it specifically for Baltimore? No, no, no. It was specifically created by Baltimoreans. Okay. Okay? okay. So it's the your screen door, right? Mm-hmm. Or your screen windows. Right. You you take those windows or, or the, the screens out of your door, and you, you take and you, you paint them in such a way... Where you there's a, it looks like a mural from the outside. Okay. Okay. On your screen, so a lot of the time you would have like a country scene or a barn and some, you know, so you know you'd have some trees and like a little, you know, and a little pond and you know things like that and some birds, 
but from the inside of the door, you can look out and see everything. Mm-hmm. But so you're getting your privacy, okay. even though you get the sunlight to come in and you can see everything out. Nobody can see inside. It's just a little bit of uh, obstruction, just so you can't make it out. Yeah, kind of like mirrored glass or something. Yeah, but yeah. You, so it's they, but you know you have this pretty mural. So mm-hmm. so you know kids go running down the street, you know, when they're doing something bad outside on the front stoop, which is your, your you know, your front porch. That's your hangout. You know, your hangout on your stoop, your your marble, you know, steps going up to your house. Your so three or four steps out yeah, in front of your house. Yeah, So, okay, I don't know. That's a Baltimore <laughs> it's, thing, it's right? It's a row home. A stoop. It's a yeah, row home. On row yeah. homes. I mean, you know, New York, Detroit, you know, Chicago. Like, there's row homes in tons of cities. Yeah. Baltimore's, you know, they're usually pretty small. You know, mm-hmm. pretty narrow, all kind of packed together. And you had three or four steps out front of your house, and that's where the kids hung out. That's it. That's the stoop. Yeah. So, you know, if you're doing something bad out on somebody else's stoop, and, you know, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, you don't know what's going on, but from the inside, you know, all of a sudden you hear, little Tommy Fessler, don't you even, blah, blah, blah. you know, so, you know, <laughs> right. and you're like, whoa, oh, and you had no clue. The so, Nana's a ninja. <laughs> yeah. That, that, so that that's the kind of thing that happened in Baltimore all yeah. the time. So Johnny Eck uh, was very good at painting these screens, continued to do it through his life, and he would mostly do it on the off season. So the season where he wasn't traveling during the winter, right. he would do this right. and he would sell them, you know, at, at you know, fairs, oh, flea markets, and farmers to people. Market. Yeah. yeah, but he was actually, he, you know, he was, uh, I was reading like a quote that he had, you know, he says, you know, you know, I, I don't even, I don't do this for everybody. You know, I guess he got really good at it. Mm. You know, he's like, I, you know, he's like, I, I, I charge people five, ten dollars just to even talk about what they want done. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I mean, you know, that that's that's good. The ever present showman. <laughs> yeah. Always, always. So along with the uh, Johnny Eck exhibit, they also have a screen painting exhibit uh, in the same building, and we kind of walked through and saw yes, that a little did, yeah. bit as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we also mentioned this, but Johnny Eck uh, was born, lived, of course, moved away for his career and traveled, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, lived most of his life and the beginning and end of his life all in Baltimore. And Hon. Yeah, in Baltimore, hon. <laughs> so uh, that, you know, he's close to, to my heart being a Baltimore native son. And Joe, you've you've been in Baltimore for... Many many years since you're a teenager. Unfortunately, yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing. Come I'm on, teasing. you love Baltimore. Hun. I love parts of Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're we're second in murder capital. So are we right now? Yeah, I know. We just we're, made yeah. second. Really? Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so far this year, we're recording this in 2014, <laughs> and I think we have something like 38 murders, and it's only February. No, we had. Is it 38 already? It's like 38 murders, oh, man, and it's only that's February. That's pretty slow. Yeah. Last year it was like two hundred something by you know. Oh, but it was like by like March or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, it was ridiculous. So we're getting there. Yeah. So I, I guess since we're talking about that, let, let's mention. Um, oh, geez, I hate to go into this really, but so uh, I believe it was nineteen eighty seven, mm-hmm. and at that point, uh, Johnny and and Robert were you know about seventy five years old, uh, and it was. I, I mean. This is really a terrible thing that happened, but yeah. so basically, they were 
they they loved everybody in their neighborhood, and they mm-hmm. were very nice to people. Like and down on, like, Milton Avenue. Yeah, yeah. That's, and, like, right down, you know, it's the heart of the city. Like Yeah, and people that, that enjoyed Freaks or were any kind of fans mm-hmm. would show up, and he would offer people to come in and give them a soda and give them a sandwich and talk all afternoon. Right, right. Um, but this, at one point... In 1987, some thugs broke into their house and over the course of several hours sat on Johnny so he couldn't get up, mm-hmm. um, you know, beat them both, stole all kinds of things from their house. And, yeah. and, and I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily torture them, but, you know, beat them up. They roughed them up, man. They yeah. stole all their stuff. It, I mean, it was a home break-in. Yeah, like, home invasion. Like, of the worst kind of home invasion that you can think of. Right. You know? Right. I mean, just to to, to get mocked, they mocked him, you know, for, for being who he was. And, yeah. um Probably had no clue who he was. Yeah. Probably had no clue whatsoever who they were messing with and just thought it would be an easy mark. Yeah, no respect. Know? Yeah. Yeah, so he... um for the next few years of his life, he really didn't interact with the public anymore. Yeah, he pretty much became a recluse. Yeah, a total shut in. Yeah, and like, him and his brother. Yeah, he just didn't really didn't really interact with anyone. Didn't invite anyone over, and was very weary of any fans that showed up or 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 came to the door. He really didn't talk to them anymore. He was quoted as saying, "The real freaks are outside." So that's. I mean, he was really really scared to do anything outside of his home because, you know, he freaked out by the whole, you know, occurrence with getting robbed and beat up and stuff. And so that, that quote, like, you know, I mean, living the life that he lived mm-hmm. and being a, a, you know, a born freak. Yeah. Like, for him to say that, that's powerful. That is a powerful statement for him to say, you know, I'm not the freak. They're all out there. Yeah, man. You know, it's 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 rough. Just uh, just just you know, looking out your window and 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 knowing that there's there's people out there that just have it in for you. Mm-hmm. You know, that aren't aren't good people. And for no reason. Yeah. For some money and some trinkets. Stupid. So January fifth, nineteen ninety one, uh, Johnny Eck passed away in his sleep of a heart attack. Uh, he was taking a nap right after dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until February 25th of 1995, at age 83, Robert followed him. They were both buried on uh, under the one headstone in Greenmount Cemetery in Baltimore. Oh, nice! I didn't know that. Yeah, so they're they're both buried there, and uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to make a pilgrimage pil- pilgrimage up there, <laughs> you know, like our Joey Ramone pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. You yeah, know? but like I said, there's there's quite a few uh, gravestones there that we want to take pictures with. Yeah, you know, with us. Now, when we went to last year, mm-hmm. we went to National Sword Swallowers Day. Yes, at Ripley, believe it or not, downtown Baltimore. In Baltimore, yeah. Uh, they also have a have a nice little corner section dedicated to Johnny as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you guys get a chance, check that out. We're going to actually be down there this year for National Sword Swallowers Day. That's right. Again. That's yeah. That is February twenty second. Uh, of of 2014, everyone's going to be swallowing swords at 2:22. Yeah. So 2:22 uh, p.m. Uh, I'll be there a little bit early, probably around one o'clock. Maybe do a little bit of of uh, my performance 
Um, uh, and then eventually I'll be swallowing swords at 222 with everyone else. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, if you're really uh, want to stick around and you're actually in the Baltimore area, I'm also going to be over at the Frozen Harbor Music Festival at Power Plant Live later on that night. I'll be hosting the uh, the night at Lucky's Liquors, which is a, a little bar with uh, some friends of mine. Tsunami Rising is going to be there. I mean, there's a whole bunch of really good bands that are going to be over at Lucky's. Mm-hmm. So at Power Plant Live. And I'll be hosting that night uh, all night as well, that same day. Cool. Now, this MICA, Maryland Institute College of Art, this exhibit started in December. But our work schedules are pretty tough to work around. So we finally got to go see it uh, this past weekend. And it's going to be open till March 16th. So everybody, please, if you're in the Baltimore area, go check it out. It's, it's really worth a, a look. It's really worth you going out of your way to go do this. And, yeah. and here's the thing is that if you go over and, and see the Eck Museum, you're not really from Baltimore, but you're coming to go see the, the Eck exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, park your car, go in, see the Eck exhibit, see the screen paintings, Walk right down the street to <laughs> Mount Royal Tavern. Yes. Get yourself a beer. And, and look up. And look up. <laughs> it's a replica of the 16th chap. What is it? The 16th. The 16th chap- <laughs> The 16th chapel. The 16th chapel is on the ceiling. It's at the Not yeah. the 15th. Not the 15th chapel. Not the 16th. No. The 16th. The 16th chapel. That's what I said, Joe. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah, the 16th chapel. The 16th chapel. It's yeah. It's the the whole thing painted up on the ceiling. Go go and check that out. Have a beer and go over that. And, and then little, and discuss Johnny Eck while you're while you're doing it. Yeah, in a little tiny dive bar, smack dab in the middle of Baltimore, you got a, a chunk of the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, it runs till March sixteenth. You guys are in the area. That's why I said 16th. Because oh, it goes until the 16th. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit mixed up. I apologize. No worries. And then go over to, go. then once you have a few beers at the Mount Royal Tavern, <laughs> then uh, then you can drive on over, no, no, and then walk on over. Take a cab. Right. Go on over to Greenmont Cemetery and uh, check out uh, the guy who created the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Check out John Wilkes Booth Grave mm-hmm. and, uh, and check out uh, Johnny and Robert X Grave as well. Yeah. That sounds like uh, what we're going to be, we should do that that day, March 16th. We should just do, we'll just do all, all of, of that. Yeah, we'll nice. do it with you. On my, we'll, we'll, we'll figure <laughs> yeah. it out. Call us. <laughs> Seriously, send us as an email. If you get enough people that want to do it, we'll all we'll all do it. We'll take we'll, a field trip. Yeah, we'll take a field trip and yeah. do it that day. All right. So, uh, Johnny Eck, he's an amazing character. He 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 did so many things in his life, and I, I mean, there's you can read. Piles and piles and pages and pages of, of things that he's done. We're only skimming the surface. We're just trying to hit the bold points that, that we enjoyed about his life. There's so much more. So really delve deep, you know, check him out. And if you come up with a story or know a story or knew Johnny in some way, give us a shout. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll put it up. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll record it. We'll put it out um, in the episode and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll discuss it. Love to do that. So I want to end this by, uh, by a Johnny quote. So someone once asked him if he wished he had legs. And he said, why would I want those? Then I'd have pants to press. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, 
he was total optimistic, happy, you know, sunny attitude. Like, I don't know. It's just, it, it's a, he seems like a really cool person, you know? He was definitely a character. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. All right, Joe. Well, I'm glad we got a full episode out instead of a half episode. <laughs> Oh, no, was that... Was that pun intended? Was that... No. <laughs> anyway, all right. I'm Christopher Scarborough. I'm Joe Taylor. All right, Curiosos. Thank you so much for joining us. Go see the Eck exhibit at MICA. Now. Do it now. Come on. Hurry. Do it. 1303 West Mount Royal Avenue in Baltimore, Maryland. See you guys. Hey, is there any topics that you want us to cover? Anything that you want to talk to us about or let us know about? Email us, feedback at thecurioso.com. Our Facebook, facebook.com backslash thecuriosopodcast. We tweet at curiosopodcast. And if you have any five-star reviews you'd like to give us on iTunes, please feel free. out those truncations bust out them truncations yo sounds like you're trying to like rap at the same time <laughs>